Hello, everybody, and welcome to an abbreviated TSS episode. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and I am joined by no music, no preamble, no rhymes, just USA and Iran. I asked our illustrious co-hosts if they wanted to join us for this one. Ryan went to Starbucks. Graham saw, I think, the looks of intensity on our faces as we were preparing for this one, and he decided to take a shower. So for this episode, I'm joined by my friend and yours, Mr. Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. How we feeling, buddy? I'm feeling okay. I'm still using my strategy of coping by just not thinking about the Mm -hmm. game tomorrow. So far, it's working really, really well. I think it's all about to be undone as we talk about this game for... 30, 40 minutes, whatever yeah. it's going to be. But you know what? It's worked so far. <laughs> if we just talk about this game until it starts tomorrow, do we get more or less nervous, or do we just stay at the same level? I, I don't. Are we about to find out? I think we're about to find out, Taylor. 24-hour <laughs> podcast it is. Uh, I, I'm with you, though. I had this the other day with the England game. I, I think I would put it out of my mind right up until I, I said this in one of the shows, I think, that there was a still image of Christian Roldan at halftime of an earlier game, and suddenly butterflies everywhere, not just because of my love for Christian Roldan. It's more of like an affection for Christian, sure. Christian Roldan, but just because it's a reminder, it, it, it's here, the USA-England game, things could happen, things could go horribly wrong. They didn't, but now we need them to go very right against an Iran team because, uh, as we record, things have gone okay for uh, them, them being Iran. Right now in Group B, we have England top with four points. They will be playing Wales on the final day, then Iran in second with three, the USA in third with two, and Wales in last with one. So Wales could jump out to an yeah. early lead, and then Iran will have to maybe open up a bit more, but as things stand, a draw good enough for Iran, not good enough for the United States. So in my mind, Joe, that means we're going to see a very defensive Iran. Very much so. I'll run through the odds. According to 538, they have their World Cup predictions up on their website. England right now have a greater than 99% chance of making it through. Basically, the only thing that can mess with England is a a multi-goal, I think maybe a four-goal difference loss to Wales. That's not going to happen. So England are through. Iran are second in that list in terms of qualification odds to the round of 16. They're sitting at 58% chance of making it into the knockout stages. All that needs to happen for Iran is most likely for them to not lose against the U.S. Or they need to make sure that Wales doesn't go out there and entrance England. Because as mm-hmm. you said, that would, that would flip the script a little bit. Again, that second outcome is not very likely. Wales are down in 5% at the bottom of the group. They need that big win. And then the U.S. sitting at 38%. It is not the most likely outcome for them to make it through. But the path is clear, Taylor. The path is clear for both the U.S. and Iran. It's, it's a little more clear for the U.S. because they don't have to worry about yep. Wales. They need to win. They need to win this game. Three points is the target. Iran are going to make it absolutely miserable for yep. them along the way. This game is going to be delicately poised. The U.S. have to balance being aggressive but not being overly so to leave themselves vulnerable on the break. It's going to be difficult, Taylor. Yeah. I'm going to kill hopes a little bit, and then we're going to bring them back <laughs> sure. as the podcast goes. But I think for people who saw Iran get trounced by England in that opener and think uh, if they try to sit deep, they're just going to be cones. The U.S. can yeah. pass through them and score. Obviously, the U.S. Uh, not quite as good with the goal scoring as England. But I also think that was a different Iran. I do think that they were distracted. I think uh, things in the country were maybe taking their attention away. We saw that with the national anthem. I think we just saw that with the nerves and the way that game finished. But then we have them with a more, 
I guess, sort of measured starting 11 or a more familiar starting 11 to Carlos Quiroz, their manager, and they're able to get that result against Wales. Admittedly, after Wales have their goalkeeper sent off, they get two very late goals. Yeah. But it was Iran who I think were more aggressive and looked the sharper of those two teams from start to finish. So it's not, in my mind, going to be an Iran team that can be passed through really easily. That will just be there for the taking. I think it's going to be a bit of a slog. I, I totally agree, Taylor. I think that first game for Iran was an anomaly, which yep. is unfortunate for the U.S. in this game, that, that they're not going to be traffic cones because they really were. Weston McKinney's on the screen, and now I'm nervous again, Joe. It's already <laughs> happened. It's already happened. Sorry, continue. I mean, they, they were traffic cones against England, and they were not really against Wales. Now, there's, there's a, a bit of context here. Wales are a much, 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 much worse team than England. That yep. doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. And the other thing here against England is they just struggled individually. Like, they struggled with very basic soccer defensive things that you, you probably won't see a team full of professional players struggle with from game to game. They were unbalanced defensively. They were losing 1v1 matchups that you just should not lose. So that game, that game was an anomaly. Not that there aren't some lessons that the U.S. can take from England from that match, because I think there are. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll get on to that stuff later. But then against Wales, they did go a bit more aggressive. And they didn't create infinitely more chances in that game. But the, the singular, I guess there's two ways. They went more aggressive. They dropped a center back and went from a back five against England to a back four against Wales. And the other thing is they put on Asmon, who mm-hmm. is a really technical, dangerous, getting-in-behind kind of attacker. He doesn't play that whole match. He's not on the field when the game starts to tip in their favor. But if we're looking for tells, Taylor at the start of this game for the U.S. against Iran, if Asmon is in the lineup, he's been yep. dealing with injuries, he's maybe mm-hmm. not 90 minutes fit. If he's in the lineup from the jump, it tells us that, okay, Iran actually are going to be scary on the break mm-hmm. with him and Mehdi Taremi playing together. If he's not, I think it's a sign, yeah, okay, we as Iran are going to be deep. We're going to make your lives mm-hmm. absolutely miserable today. With that in mind, would you expect them to be in that back five again or more of the back four? I think I lean back four mostly just because of the way that Wales game played out. Yeah, I might lean back four as well with... If I were Carlos Quiroz, I would probably try to continue as much of the defensive momentum from the Wales yep. game as possible. Mm-hmm. So sticking with the back four might make sense there. And then I would probably not start Asmon in this game because I would want to have even an extra player back to drop back and help out defend. I agree. And I think in a way that makes Iran worse, but it also probably makes them a little bit yeah. better. Because Azmoun, uh, to my mind against Wales, was the one who, they're listed as a 4-4-2. I saw it as more of a 4-3-3, especially when attacking, that Azmoun would stay central, it would be Taremi on the right, and then it would be uh, Golizada on the right, who would, or excuse me, Taremi on the left, Golizada on the, on the right, who would step forward. And then Safi, the left midfielder, usually moved more inside, and you had a midfield three, and that allowed Azmoun to be really aggressive. He was the one who, if Wales dropped it from, say, left back to center back, yeah. he would sprint from the left back to that center back. If it went back to the goalkeeper, he would keep sprinting forward, usually forcing Wales to go long. And when he would go, I don't know if it was quite a trigger, but it felt like the back line would move further up the pitch. Even there, there was a pretty big gap. It's not like they step all the way up to midfield and play a really high line. Uh, so in that way, I think he applies pressure. He could be uh, like one that alleviates some of the pressure on Iran if they are in like sustained mm-hmm. defensive shape. But to your point, I think would then open them up, leaves too much space, and maybe is a bit more aggressive in the attack. I I honestly think, though he is very dangerous on the counter and probably their best goal scorer, in my mind at least, no disrespect to Taremi Joe, I know you got love for him, uh, but I feel like that's almost a a little bit of a positive for the U.S. uh, because I think that means they might be slightly more attacking, slightly more open. I think if we don't see him, it really does tell us, okay, they're going to be sitting in for almost the entire game. They're just playing for that draw. And, And to be clear, I think even if Asmon and Taremi do both start in this game, yeah. 
Iran are, are not going to go out there and play free-flowing no. soccer. Like, we're talking about no. shades of gray here yes, a little bit. We it, are. It's going to be dark, dark, dark gray one way or the other in, in that <laughs> Iran will be making the U.S.'s lives yep. miserable. Because, well, I mean, think back to how they, this team has played under Carlos Quiroz in the past and how they've played recently. Mm-hmm. You know, talking to folks that watch this team a lot and watching film myself coming into this tournament, Iran are, are a defensive team. They yep. just are. That, that was the whole issue with this construction of Group B is that England are conservative and tend to be pretty defensive for as talented as they yep. are. And, and then Wales are a very defensive team, not very good in the attack. Iran are a very defensive team as well. And the U.S.'s defense and their defending as a unit has been much better than their attack. So this group was always sort of the the group of capable defensive teams. And then England and Iran sort of flipped the script on yes. us in match day mm-hmm. one, and it's since reverted a little bit after that match. But Iran are going to be defensive in this game, whether it's a back five or a back four, whether Asmon starts or not. They're mm-hmm. going to be compact. They're going to try to funnel the U.S. out wide and, and try to cross deal with crosses that the U.S. plays into the box. Yeah. That's when it's going to be extremely important for the U.S., to find a way to break Iran down, yep. right? I mean, this is this is where Greg Baralter and this U.S. team are going to make mm-hmm. their money. It all, you and I both talked about this, it all comes down to this. I don't think it is hyperbolic to say if the U.S. lose this game against Iran, this has been a failure, yep. right? This entire yep. World Cup qualifying cycle has been a failure. The expectation should be to get to the World Cup and then to do something, at least to get out of the group when yep. you're there for this current group. So that's where the battle, that's where, that's where this game is going to be won and lost, is the U.S. trying to create and Iran trying to frustrate. Yeah, I mean, I think any, anything short of a win is a failure. Yeah. Because even if you draw, if you don't score, there's no way that what we were targeting was three draws and one goal scored. Uh, so I, I think it is then the United States who will have to take it and have to try to get that result, obviously. Uh, a couple more little points about Iran, then sure. we'll talk about the United States. Uh, yeah, to, to emphasize the defensiveness, uh, Sam Stachel wrote an article for The Athletic talking about U.S. and how they've been developing and some of the opportunities they may have. He noted Iran allowed just eight goals in 18 matches in uh, AFC qualifying. So a team that can do the defensive side for sure. And uh, rather than look to England, I I watched more of the Wales game and I saw Wales basically get pulled into a physical game. And Iran were happy to fight for 50-50s, fight for loose balls, get into it, uh, concede free kicks, knock people off the ball. And Wales, I think, played that game as well. And that is another cautionary tale for the United States. I think if you are trying to find a way through this Iranian team, if you're trying to get good shooting opportunities and good XG uh, chances, you can't really get pulled into that mm. type of match. You also can't shy away from it. It's a really difficult game. It's a really like precarious position to be in. But if you're overly focused on battling for everything and knocking people around, you're going to pick up cards you don't need. You're going to get distracted from the game you want to play. So I think transitioning into what I want to see from the United States, you've got to win the 50-50s. You've got to win the second balls. But you also can't just get yeah. overly focused. You Basically, you you can't let it become a CONCACAF game of knocked off the ball, free kick, knocked off the ball, free kick. Now we foul you, now you foul us. And it slows down and you get knocked out of your rhythm. The U.S., I think, has to start high octane, high energy, and they have to try to keep that intensity alive for as long as they can. Winning the 50-50 balls is important in this game. Taylor, I think about it almost as a prerequisite, though. I think Mm -hmm. about, if we think about how this game is going to unfold, most likely it's going to be the U.S. camped out in Iran's attacking half. They're going to have... Adams and Zimmerman and Reem back to sweep yep. up plays. Those players should be winning the 50-50s. They are controlling the space. They will be attacking forward. Think about a, a long ball coming out from Iran, a desperate clearance or something like that. And Walker Zimmerman is closing down Asmon or Taremi. Mm-hmm. He has all the momentum, right? He yep. has the momentum. He's trying to put the ball right back where it was before, yep. whereas the Iranian attacker is going to be trying to settle the ball, turn, and go. 
the U.S. should be winning the vast majority of those moments just thinking about the, the state of the game. So that's the prerequisite. If that stuff's not happening, the U.S. is in big, big trouble because Iran might, might snag one early on and then it's a, a much, mm-hmm. much harder game at that point. Yep. So that, that's the baseline for this team. What comes after that, I think, is, is the most important bit. So the U.S. needs to be up for it from the start with those 50-50s and also with their tempo of moving the ball, right? I mean, there is no, to your point, Taylor, there's not time. There's not time for this, right? It's 90 minutes. Okay, I guess I shouldn't say 90 minutes. It might be 112 <laughs> minutes at this point. But, I mean, there is a finite amount of time. The yeah. clock is ticking from the moment the ball is kicked off in this game. The clock is ticking, and we have to see something from mm-hmm. the U.S. in this game, Taylor, that we, we either haven't seen much at all under Greg Berhalter, which yep. is quality possession play to create chances in open play, or something we haven't seen at all in this tournament, which is set-piece dominance. So I, uh, this is why I haven't been thinking about this game, because mm-hmm. I don't feel particularly good about either one of those yeah. things happening, because we just haven't seen it. Not to say that it can't happen on Tuesday, tomorrow, I guess, as we're recording on Monday, but it is, it's not going to be easy. Uh, further evidence of that, again from that uh, that Sam article, dating back to the 2-0 loss at Canada in January, yep. the U.S. has been shut out in seven of their last nine matches against World Cup opponents. The only goals in that stretch came on Monday against Wales and in a 3-0 home win against Morocco in a friendly in June. Without Hakim Ziyech, without the manager they have now. Yeah, so I, I would say remove that. Let's go back to what we want to see from the sure. U.S. Yeah. If we do need them to create those yes. better opportunities, those more consistent opportunities, do you agree? Like, should the United States start really aggressively, or are you okay with them being slightly more cautious so that we don't have that early uh, opening goal against? Like, I, I have shades of Kuva or something like that uh, when the U.S. failed to qualify, where they need that result, and then they concede early, and now it is very much a steep uphill as opposed to just a gradual uphill. I think you start aggressively, Taylor, because cool. I, I think Berhalter should trust his defensive unit. And his team to defend after they lose the ball. That was the best part about the first half against Wales was the U.S. didn't create all that much. Okay, the goal was the best part of that first half. But the U.S. didn't create much of anything against a really compact Welsh defense. The goal they scored was in a moment where Wales are stretched Mm -hmm. off of a long ball. The the other best part, though, about that half was they didn't give Wales anything on the break. It it looked easy for the U.S. to control that game. I think Iran have a bit more top-end attacking talent than Wales do. Wales have Gareth Bale. Iran, I think, are a little deeper and and have more players who can beat you in open space. But, I mean, the U.S. should be able to control this game. So I feel that's the one thing I feel good about is the U.S. not conceding early on in this game now Mm -hmm. that I've said it. I don't like what that could do. Anyway, my my concern is that they they don't go aggressive enough in the attack. So, yes, you have to go for it. And for me... That might even start with personnel. Maybe we can talk about personnel let's later. You let, want to talk let, about it now? Let, that's fine. Let's, start, yeah. let's go to shape first. Sure. So we saw somewhat of a 4-4-2 yeah. uh, against England, but in my mind, that's basically to block off that double pivot. It's a very England-specific approach. Yeah. I'm assuming we will be back to that more 4-3-3 that we've seen under Greg Berhalter. That would be my guess, Taylor. I mm-hmm. think it's going to be that 4-3-3 shape defensively, which then will transition pretty easily into a fluid interchanging 4-3-3 in the attack. Yeah. I think the fullbacks, certainly Jedi Robinson is going to get high and wide. Dest's usage in this game, I think, is a little more interesting because he can do more things and tuck inside or drift into central midfield. We saw that a few times sort of impromptu against England where he's cutting inside. You pointed that out on the rewatch. Dest comes inside and eliminates an England player and drifts into the half space. We could see some of that stuff, but I think a 4-3-3 with the wingers tucking inside or or trying to exploit space in behind and then the midfielders interchanging. The, The only thing that could be different about this shape compared to what we've seen earlier in this tournament is... If Gio Reyna comes on for mm-hmm. one of Musa or McKinney. And I don't know if listeners remember this at this point. I was talking about that as something I might want to see against Wales on match day one back before we all flew to Brooklyn. Yeah. And we we're talking about this. It feels like a whole other <laughs> world now. But 
I, I do like the idea in this game where it's do or die to create or, or you're out of this tournament yep. of getting an extra attacker on the field, right? Why not? Why not think back to that Morocco game that I just discredited a little bit where, where the U.S. get Aronson on the field and just play with a double pivot of Adams and Musa and they have the basically a tooth shoot. What would it have been? It would have been like a like a three two five in mm-hmm. possession in that match. Why not get another attacker yep. on the field from the start? That for me is maybe even a way to be aggressive before the game even kicks off. Let's let's run it through really quickly and then we'll talk about some potential variation. But if we're going with the four three three, I'm I'm going to assume that you have Matt Turner in goal. Yes. Just shot in the dark there. Yes, I yeah. do. And then Shocking. you said you said it very quickly, uh, but uh, you'd still go Zimmerman and Reem, uh, Reem right? Uh, we I had ta- I had speculated that maybe he'll go with Long because you want some speed to deal with the counter. I don't think you do that here. I think you need Reem and Zimmerman. Zimmerman has been uh, plenty good in the air. Yes, he has some errant passing. Yes, he has the penalty conceded but I still think he is uh the best of our center back options aside from Tim Ream and Tim Ream so good on the ball so good in his decision making as to when to carry it forward himself when to try to pull the defender out and then play a pass in uh and to my mind hasn't been caught in any of those situations so I like the two of them certainly like Jedi on the left and then Dest on the right uh we saw him come out fairly early in the second half or relatively early in the second half against England and my hope then and remains that he was basically being saved for this game that we needed some of that attacking uh, sauce, if you will. Uh, one of my specific predictions for this game will be that we will see, I don't know what else to call, I'm calling it the Dest for now, but he's done it multiple times in this tournament. It is when he rolls the ball with his right foot, so he rolls it like across his body and then passes it with his left instep in the same motion. Uh, he does that, he's done that a couple times now, and I feel like he's just going to do little things like that to try to open up and find some passes. So I would say back four and then Tyler Adams ahead of them. There's your first six players in yeah, the lineup. those right themselves, certainly, cool. Taylor. Those are easy ones to, to predict. And I, I, from this point, I can see it going two different ways. Yep. I can see Baralta running out the MMA midfield, which I thought those players largely were good against England. I think that would be a justifiable decision. And then you're going with the front three. Of, so, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so basically, if we're going with our least surprising from yes. what we've seen from Burhalter, yeah. it's uh, the back four we mentioned, Turner, the MMA midfield of Musa McKinney and Adams. Pulisic and then, on the left, way on the right, and fill in the blank number nine. Probably not Haji Wright again in a game like yeah. this. I don't think it fits him. It could be Sargent. It could be Ferreira. I wouldn't really be surprised either way. I wouldn't be surprised either way. I think if we're going with the one that seems like it is the most likely, if you ha- if I had to pick, uh, I think you've talked me into a little bit of if we think Berhalter will do certain things and based on what he has done previously, maybe this is the game where Jesus Ferreira starts. I think it might be because of how deep Iran are going to be. I don't really understand why you bring Jesus Ferreira to an international tournament mm-hmm. where international soccer is typically point, reliant on set point. pieces. This, this World Cup, weirdly... Uh, has been very not set PC, at mm-hmm. least as far as we're recording right now. It, it has had, I believe, a record low for the last few World Cups uh, of shots mm-hmm. on set pieces and gold on set pieces. But Ferreira is not a set piece target. He's not big enough. He's not strong enough. He doesn't jump high enough to, to really be a threat in those moments. But what he does do is drag defenders three yards, four yards away from their initial spot to create space, right? That's mm-hmm. the whole false nine idea is that you're trying to pull players out to then send somebody else into that gap or to combine in that space around a defender. This feels like the, the Jesus Ferreira game. Maybe yep. if the, if results go differently for the U.S. earlier in this competition, it's not. But this feels like a break glass in case of emergency situation. Yep. And Ferreira is that guy. Again, this is still in that standard 4-3-3 shape yep. with the MMA midfield. Maybe not the only thing we can see from Peralta, but I think no matter what the shape is in possession, 
Ferreira might make the most sense here. I don't understand why you bring him otherwise. Yeah. Why you leave out Ricardo Pepe or Jordan Pifak if you're going to bring Jesus Ferreira to then not play him, especially yeah. in a game like this where you need someone to be mobile, to find space, uh, to find little pockets of space specifically, to get on the ball, to ideally pull defenders out, or to at the very least uh, get on the ball, turn, and then look for some of those through passes. So I think I won't be surprised. I'll be the least surprised sure. if it's Jesus Ferreira. Now let's talk about some of the permutations, yeah. starting with Gio Reyna, a player who has been much discussed. Uh, there have been, again, and there's still speculation that there's a rift or that he's fully ready to go and Burhalter hasn't been playing him. We have not heard any reporting that suggests that is the case from the people we've talked to who are in Qatar following this team. There's been no coverage of that. There's been no discussion of that. And I'm inclined to believe that the people who are there would have heard something, would have asked about it. So I don't think there's a rift. I do think that we've maybe seen Gio Reyna not played just because they want to get him back up to speed. And if that's the case, this feels like the game that you've been yep. saving him for. I don't know who you're saving him for at the expense of. Hopefully that sentence makes sense, but you get what I'm getting at. Yeah. So if we were going to start Gio Reyna, and that's the thing I think both of us would like to see, yes. where do we start him? So uh, you have two choices here yep. to start Gio Reyna. One is just to play that that four three three that's going to shift into basically like a two three five in possession. Can I say one thing really quickly? Yeah, go ahead. You have I guess three technically. Uh, one of them is just very unlikely. A lot of people want to see Gio Reyna starting as the number nine. Uh, I can see why there's an argument for that, but Greg Berhalter disagrees. Uh, in his pre-match press conference, he said the USMNT haven't really thought about moving Reyna, Pulisic, Way, or Morris, anyone else to striker. He's focused on the three that they brought: Sargent, Wright, and Ferreira. Yeah. So whether not you think uh, Gio Reyna should start as the number nine. It sure. doesn't seem like he will. It doesn't seem like Tim Weah either. And that leaves those two spots you're talking about, Joe. So one option is just you plug Reyna in on the wing in that four-three-three shape. So you keep the MMA midfield. So in possession, think about this shape, Taylor. It's going to be the back two, right, of the center backs. The fullbacks are going to push high and wide, yep. most likely, uh, or, or at least some level mm-hmm. of high and wide. And then you have the wingers tucking inside in the number nine. So that makes kind of this two-three-five shape in possession. The U.S. have used that a bunch, the U.S. have. So that's one option. Reyna just comes in for Pulisic or Weah. Surely it won't be Pulisic, even though I would choose to put Reyna in over Pulisic in this game. I'd be shocked if Baralter would. The other option is to just add Reyna in in favor of or in place of yeah. either Musa or McKinney. And to go to that 3-2-5 or, or just, just get another attacker on the field. That's, that's the end of the day. That's what this is about. Yep. We saw this against Morocco over the summer back in June. Baralter has done it before. In this case, it wouldn't be Aronson coming in for McKenney, which is what happened in that game against Morocco. It would be Reyna coming in for one of those number eights. So you still have Way on the field. You still have Polistic on the field. You still have the fullbacks on the field. You're just stacking one more number, one more capable attacker higher up the field, and you're going for it a little bit. So uh, that would be the option that I would most like to see in this game. Mm-hmm. I think Gio Reyna, assuming he's fit, right? that's the only thing that will... will excuse leaving Giorena on the bench to start this game. But even if he's yep. ready to go 45, I think you start him at minute one of this game. Okay. You put Giorena on the field, and I would probably take Yunus Musa off as much as I love Musa. I would leave Musa on the bench. You can add him back in later in the match if you need, if you need what Yunus Musa does. You put Reyna in, and you have Reyna and Weya and Dest combining some on the right side. You have Pulisic and Jedi and, and McKenney maybe a little bit on the other side. I think that's how you start to cook a little bit against Iran from minute one with the personnel stuff. I'm glad you're in that position because I think I'm not quite there because uh, I agree with everything you've said. And it basically, in my mind, comes down to the most likely one is that Wea sits. And I don't think I like that idea. This is where my, my mindset is, at mm-hmm. least, is that I, I don't think Berhalter is inclined to break up that MMA midfield. And I'm not sure I want him to, at least to start, because I think there's some consistency there. There's certainly some chemistry there. 
if he does, fine, cool. I'm not going to freak out about it. But I think at the end, it's. I would rather probably Randa start over Pulisic. I don't think he's been decisive on the ball in the way that the U.S. needs. I think he's held it a little bit too long and tried some things on an, on an individual level that haven't quite worked. I don't think Pulisic's going to sit. I think Weah has been probably the U.S.'s most direct and, like, Effective. Mo- yeah, effective. <laughs> yeah. Most likely to score threat. So I don't want him out either. So with that said, I'm also not going to be surprised if we don't see Gio Reyna till the second half. But that is where I would say it can't be seven minutes or 15 minutes. Yeah. If it's not working, if it's nil-nil at halftime, there has to be that change there. I- so either start with Reyna in the middle or... Reina needs to be in at halftime, and the U.S. has to be ultra-aggressive in the second half. I just can't—maybe I, I, I'm repeating myself a little bit here, which I it's apologize. Fine. I, hear, I hear what you're saying, Taylor. I, I think it would be difficult for Brawlter to break up that MMA midfield. I just can't abide by the U.S.'s best and most talented player if he's fit. Again, that's if what we don't fit, know. Yeah. Not starting this game. I, I cannot. This is, this is it. Right? This is the last match that the U.S. will play under Greg Brawlter if they lose this game. Brawlter so, surely knows that. Surely he knows that. And he, and he also yeah. knows that his odds of winning this Joe, game go up with Gio Reyna. Yeah, just, just now rubbing his temples. I'm in full stress oh, no. mode at this point. Like, I, I think it would be, and again, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, I think it would be a catastrophic error to leave Gio Reyna out of this starting lineup for a sporting reason. I, I cannot imagine justification yeah. for that. Okay. It is more important in my mind to get him on the, on the field over whatever chemistry the MMA midfield have. And I, I hear you on that, Taylor. I think those are all excellent players. You just you have to get Gio Reyna on the field to start this game. So I'm going to say worst case scenario, U.S. concedes in the first like five or ten minutes. Yes. That's just the worst thing. Yeah. But the next worst case scenario is that we see the 4-3-3, the kind of MMA midfield, the front three that we've talked about with uh, Ferreira Central. But we see a sort of timid, passive yeah. first 15 minutes where the U.S. is clearly feeling the pressure of we know we have to get something. And we see Gio Reyna on the bench. Yeah. I would say that's the second case worst scenario. So I'm, it sounds like you're going to be more immediately, oh, no, this is going to be a problem if we don't see Gio Reyna in the starting 11. I would like to see Gio Reyna in the starting 11, but I am less. I'm willing to give it an opportunity. Yeah, And, and, and then I'm going to be furious if it doesn't go well. Sure. I, that's, <laughs> that's a good spot. Way to hedge your bets, Taylor. I like that. I'm just saying, he's the manager. He's making these choices. And so I'm not going to immediately be like, well, this was a mistake. But if it doesn't go well, it's on him. It's not on me for being like, <laughs> you should have done this earlier. Sure. Like, I'm not allowed to do that in the press conference. So, I, sure. I, But in the post game, I might. Yeah. The, the other thing I'll say is if Reyna's on the bench, it's not like the U.S. can't get a goal they, they can right they have the quality players to do that they yep. have a talent advantage against iran it is possible i'm not trying to say it's impossible i i just like to play the numbers games here and i think when you have Giorena on the field your chances of scoring a goal against iran pretty logically go up by a, a noticeable amount regardless of whether reina's on the field taylor i think there's a couple things that the u.s can do tactically to help break through runs. So we talked about the lineups. We talked about some of the personnel stuff, some of the different permutations of the group, and really even of the U.S.'s lineup. I think there's a few different things the U.S. can do. One, just to get this out there early, is set pieces. Mm-hmm. The U.S. game one against Wales, delivery was, was really bad from Christian Pulisic. He competes, completes one of six set pieces. Game two, I think his deliveries against England were much better. The runs in the box didn't meet them. Dude, and- I, wanted, I agree with you. I just want to emphasize. Yeah. I've thought about this a lot. It, it almost felt this w- could not have been the case, but it almost appeared as though U.S. players were like, look, we know he's not going to clear the first guy. Yeah. Why even make these runs? Right. And then he did. But uh, that's the only way I can explain how you just had no one in the middle, uh, like like near the top of the six-yard box or at the back post, charging to meet those. Sure. So maybe this is the Goldilocks scenario of the delivery is there and the runs are there. But either way, it's got to be better. And that's that's what the U.S. is banking on in this game, yep. is, is getting something from a set piece. That's also why I would take Reyna on and, and take Musa yep. off because okay. McKenney is, is a better set piece threat than Musa. 
We've seen nothing that, that says the U.S. is dangerous on set pieces in this tournament. If no one had ever watched the U.S. before, mm-hmm. they would not be concerned about the U.S. on set pieces. But we know the personnel they have. We know that they can be dangerous. So that's the first thing, tactically, that the U.S. should really focus on in this game. Uh, I would agree with you. And on those set pieces, uh, worth noting, uh, from what I saw, Iran much more likely to manmark, manmark aggressively. Mm-hmm. There's going to be shirt pulling. There's going to be some tussling. So this, again, is where I think it's really important that the United States have some design set pieces, be they short, uh, taken short, and then reestablishing position or just having that sort of column that we've seen where then you can break apart. But if you just sort of line up man-to-man and let Iran mark you out, you're not going to get anything. So I think you have to be smart and aggressive against an Iranian defense that will be very aggressive on set pieces. So that's one key component here, Taylor. I'm totally with you on that analysis as well. The other two things are both possession-y. So I went back through and watched a bunch of the chances that England had against Iran. And England, a much better team. Iran, maybe tactically, were set up a little different. But the principles, I think we can apply here. Some things that England did well in that game, specifically when, they, when it came down to breaking a low block. The first thing is they were active in creating overloads out wide. And we saw England do this to the U.S. too, Taylor, right? So think about England's shape. Sometimes it's a 4-2-3-1. A little more often it, it tends to be a 4-3-3 with Bellingham pushing up next to Mason Mount instead of next to Declan Rice. But England in that game, they'd get the ball out to the right wing, which I believe was Kieran Trippier, starting it right back in that game. And they would have Trippier, and they would have Bellingham shift over to the wing. They would have Saka on the right wing. And even they would drag like Raheem Raheem Sterling all the way from the left half space over to the right wing. And they would have a a Mm four-man attack of sorts on that right side. They would drag Iran over, and then they would combine, combine, combine. Maybe they bounce the ball centrally. They bounce it into the half space. And then they play a winger or, or the fullback down to the end line for a cutback. So they create an overload on that side to drag Iran yep. over or, or just to have a numerical advantage to play through Iran on the wings to then get to the end line and cut the ball back. The U.S. could try to do something similar in this game. It kind of sounds counterintuitive to create wide overloads to then get central. But that is, I mean, teams set up to deny you access centrally. So you force them to shift to a wing and then you target that space in behind. Then you target that space centrally to then create a chance. So I think that's one thing I'd like to see the U.S. Yeah. do in this game is to create some chances on the wing. I think that's a great a great idea, Joe. And we've seen McKenney take up wide positions. I can see a yeah. scenario in which, let's say it is Reina starting. If McKenney goes wide, Des gets the ball maybe in that half space. Yeah. Reina slides over to the other half space or like a little more central. And yeah. then you've got like the, the wide attacker there as well. Suddenly you can create those overloads and play through. Mm-hmm. I would then build upon that to say... The thing I haven't loved in the United States is that they've been ponderous in and around goal. And I understand that you want to pick your chances and see if you can carve something open or create something. And you got to do that. You also have to be decisive. And I'm not just trying to dump on Shaq more, but that's the one that comes to mind is he has that opportunity late in the game where he can first time bang it in to the top of the six and there's bodies there. Maybe it finds a, a U.S. foot. Maybe it finds an Iranian's heel, but you create that uncertainty. But if you take a touch and you take another touch and then you try to pass it, now you're letting them get into a shape. Now you're letting them get numbers back. I think in and around the box, the U.S. has to be quick thinking and decisive in what they're doing. Yeah. And then, cliches it may be, you have to take your chances. The Weston McKinney one that he skies yes. over against England. I want to talk about that in a second as it, well. It's like a 14% chance, I know. But, it, I, but I think the United States has to be able to convert some of those, has to put some of those on frame. Joe, I, I hope I'm not making your temple swell sure. even more. But I just think the U.S. has been ponderous in and around goal, and then they haven't been as clean on the ball when they're shooting. And I think... It just requires them to be that much more diligent, that much more alive to opportunities. Yeah, that, that McKinney miss is a good one, Taylor. So I would, I would take what you said and tweak it slightly to the point where I think the U.S. just needs to create more of those opportunities, right? The, the idea that I subscribe yeah. to in soccer is the more of those chances that you create, the better chances you have of scoring a goal, right? That McKinney shot, 
Who was it? Well, I don't know. Maybe it was on the broadcast. Maybe it was a different game that I'm thinking of. It was Kobe Jones, so it wasn't the yeah. U.S. game. But it was Kobe Jones talking about this, this shot that somebody takes in a World Cup game. And it was a ridiculously challenging effort. And he mm-hmm. says, you know, you have to put that on frame. You have to do oh, better there. Oh, it was there. the Griezmann. It was the Griezmann one where he chests it down and volleys it from outside the it, box. It's like... It, that this stuff just makes no yeah. sense to me because scoring goals in soccer is really, yeah. really hard. What I want the U.S. to do against Iran is just create more of those chances for Weston yeah. McKinney. And actually, Taylor, Weston McKinney in particular, he's someone I have my eyes on in this game. I would expect him to start. I think he's going to be important for the U.S. One other way that England had success against Iran was Bellingham crashing the box. That's yep. how they score their first goal in that game. Yep. Iran aren't stretched. Iran are back defending in their own half. It's Jude Bellingham making a late-arriving run into the box to create something in that game. And to, to get a ball in, I believe it's Luke Shaw who crosses it in after some nice build-up play from, the U, uh, from, from England in that mm-hmm. game. Bellingham crashes the box late and heads the ball home. And it's 1-0. All of a sudden, the game is tipped in England's favor. Weston McKinney has made his money, Taylor, in yep. Europe yep. on those kinds of late-arriving runs. He's mm-hmm. not a guy you really want to have to depend on to pass your way through a block. He is a guy you want winning headers in the box. Yeah. He's a guy you want making those late arriving runs. I know that one against England doesn't come off. That, to me, though, is exactly the kind of chance the U.S. should be looking for in this game. And we're recording this uh, in between the start of Brazil, Switzerland, and the conclusion of uh, Korea and Ghana. Ghana. Nice. Uh, you remember all four. That was really <laughs> good. It was tough. But the second Korea goal, where you have the attacker just go flying through the air to get on the end of one, that's the McKinney. Yeah. Uh, we'll call that one the McKinney maneuver, uh, where he flies in, gets there late, and gets that header. And I think uh, I'm going to try to explain this. I hope I, I can get through it. But like like point two xg, point three xg, usually indicate it was like a decent opportunity, yeah. but it's not quite the like he's got to be sure, finishing there. Absolutely. But what I want to see is more 0.2.3 chances yes, 100%. than 0.02 or 0.1 from outside the box yep. or from like contested opportunities. Yeah. I think that's what we're talking about here is getting better chances, better clear-cut chances, and then taking advantage of those. Uh, Joe, we're, we're getting near the kickoff for Serbia-Brazil, a game we both want to watch. We've also gone plenty long on this one, uh, but I think we've run through, I'll recap them at the end, sure. some keys to this game. Uh, one thing we haven't really gone in depth on, we mentioned it briefly, I think we're going to both come away with meh but uh the number nine yeah it seems like we're leaning towards if you bring Ferreira uh you start him here for the opportunity to get on the ball I mentioned off air to you that I was concerned about if if Ferreira drops deep I don't know if Iran will have anyone go with him Mm. uh and I don't know if that means that we're just going to get him with a bunch of other midfielders clogging it up and I think the difference there which you helped me understand is that it's not about him dropping deep it's about him dropping a little bit yeah yeah, yeah, sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> I'll pick up on you there. I think you're totally right about that, Taylor, and I guess in, in a roundabout way, I'm right about yeah, that. Exactly. At least yes. I think I'm right about this. <laughs> I'm right to say that you convinced me that well it's a good said, idea. Well said, Taylor, yes. really well said. I like the idea of Ferreira not dropping to be even with Tyler Adams, right? If, if that happens, mm-hmm. it's like a, a Kram Afif dropping for Qatar in this tournament where they just yeah. cannot yep. get him yep. the ball in the first mm-hmm. place, so the playmaker feels like he needs to drop back into the back line. That should not happen. If that stuff is happening with Ferreira or Sargent or Wright or whoever it is up top for the U.S., something has gone wrong. Mm -hmm. What I do think Jesus Ferreira could bring to this game is him dropping three yards, four yards, five yards, just between Iran's back line and their midfield line. Not, Not really in front of that line. Maybe occasionally he drops into that space and it's some sort of interchange. But I think you want him in between those defensive lines to pull Iranians' center backs forward three or four yards, right? Then after that happens, you maybe break lines to Ferreira. He balances it to, to Pulisic or to Reyna or to McKenney, And then someone runs in behind. And, and then you're just playing soccer, right? You're doing the kind of stuff that is so fun to do mm-hmm. when you go out there and play five-a-side or you go out and, and play a real game of soccer. I think people, if they've stepped on the field, can mm-hmm. relate to those little combinations and sequences. It feels good, right? You yep. feel energized when that stuff happens. That's some of the most satisfying parts about playing soccer games. And that's really 
how you create goals against a low block is mm-hmm. you just go out there and you, you combine, you ping, 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 ping. Ferreira is a guy, I think, who enables the U.S. to do more of that stuff than Sargent or Haji, right? Yeah. So I think you've made me a believer that it, it should be or at least will most likely be Ferreira. If it is Josh Sargent, I'm, I'm pretty okay with yes, that, too. I am too. And that, I, I'm fine. And I think that means to me that they're like going to be emphasizing more like uh, aerial uh, challenges yep, in the box, agreed. more kind of scraps in and around the goal, and I'm okay with that, too. Yep. I also think there's a pretty good chance that if it's nil-nil, that's when we see Josh Sargent in like the 60th minute. So we've uh, I think we've gone through a a lot of permutations, a lot of possible lineups, a lot of possible approaches. Joe, here are my keys to the game for the United States Bring based it. on what we've talked about. I think I've got seven of them. I will come to you uh, for the conclusion because it's a point you've made previously. Number one is Giorena exclamation point, ideally from the jump. Uh, number two is, for me, don't get sucked into a wrestling match. Don't make this a slog. Don't let it be slowed down and get into those kind of back and forth with the run. That's what they want you to do. It's going to be a very CONCACAF game. Uh, capitalize on set pieces would be number three. Create over loads out wide number four play quickly in the box to create more chances number five McKinney arriving late is number six and number seven is basically played the style of soccer that Greg Berhalter said the U.S. Yep. was going to play from yep. the jump this is the opportunity for this to be your thesis statement against a team that are going to be defensive you've got to be attacking you've got to be aggressive you've got to be clean on the ball good in possession good in front of goal I, I both hate this and love this Taylor but this is it right this yep. is it for Greg Berhalter this is the this is the final chance for him to show that the U.S. has moved an inch or two further towards the we can disorganize opponents with the ball mantra that he dropped, I think, back in December or January 2018, 2019, one of those. This has been Baralter's game plan from the start. It has not really come off for this team before now. I feel a little silly sort of expecting a miracle for the U.S. to be able to pull this off all of a sudden and have it be night and day mm-hmm. against Iran. It's not impossible, though. You get the U.S.'s best. There it is, man. You get there the U.S.'s is. best soccerers out mm-hmm. on the field, and they play soccer, right, and have these little combinations I think this could be something for the U.S. I'm trying to guard my heart, Taylor Rockwell, coming into this match, but like this is it, man. This, hey, man. Is, this is everything right One here. of the greatest sports calls of all time remains, do you believe in miracles? Yes. And I'm going to say Joe just gave us a version of that with, it's going to be, it's going to require a miracle, <laughs> but it's not impossible. Yeah. And I think the U.S. has it all there for them. They can take this game. It's not a, they've got to hold on for a nil-nil against England. We hope they can do it. This is the chance for them to go out, stake their claim that they can be that next big force, that they can be that team that we all think they can be, that they have the ability to get the result when it's required. That's what makes us love the World Cup. That's what's made us love U.S. teams previously. That's what I am here for. I'm going to go rock in the corner for 27 hours until kickoff occurs. But for now, Joe Lowry, thank you so much for talking this out. I do genuinely feel better because I feel like we understand what this game needs to be, how it could be played, and how we don't want it to be played. No, I'm right there with you, Taylor. This was fun. I would now like it it to be 2 p.m. Eastern time on (laughs) Tuesday, uh, November 29th. Let's make it happen. Let's go, USA. We will talk to you all many more times today and in the ensuing days. But for now, Joe, thanks again. Listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you soon.